0: If you haven't heard enough of the Sermon on the Mount, I'd like to read the end of it again. Matthew seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine from the message translation. When Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause, which by the way is how I'm hoping this will end. They had they had never heard teaching like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. I just like that phrase, quite a contrast between their religion teachers. We've entered into and kind of flowing out of the Sermon on the Mount into this new series and this new season on um, your life is too short to pretend you're not religious. Last week, Lance did a great job of opening us up into this topic, and if you haven't listened to the podcast or weren't here, I encourage you to do that. And uh, he, he borrowed this title from uh, David Dark's book, Life's Too Short to Pretend You're Not Religious, and started with this brilliant reading. Uh, I want to do it again today. So uh, Lance, I think you asked two people to help me out. Who are those two people? You can come and join me. All right. All right. The happy couple. Thanks, Blythe and Matt. And uh, this is just a way to, uh, to settle us into, into the sermon, just to be reminded of the contrast of religion. So uh, I'm going to have Blythe and Matt read this. Who's reading the first part? Okay, Blythe and then Matt. And Just listen, receive. The words are up on the screen.
1: This goes out to those for whom... Religion is violence backed by divinity. Religion is a backward step in human evolution. Religion kills joy. Religion is why you can't talk to your family. Religion is the state of being hopelessly stuck. Religion is brainwash. Religion is the old relative who can't change his mind and won't change the subject. Religion is a cage around reason. Religion is the thorn in the side of common sense. Religion will not house complexity, mystery, the unknown, or contradiction. Religion represents death of the imagination, invention, and seeing yourself in someone else. Religion is the elaborate disguise for fear that gets him a seat at the table of survival.
2: This also goes out to those for whom religion is peace backed by divinity. Religion is a forward step in human evolution. Religion gives joy. Religion is the moral memory of humankind. Religion is an ancient intelligence summoning us to choose humility over hubris and love over fear. Religion dresses the wounds of alienation, isolation, oppression, desertion, haste, and hierarchy. Religion is the call to somehow honor and revere your family. Religion sings songs to the silenced and forgotten. Religion illuminates the invisible threads of cosmic connection. Religion is the lexicon of mystery. Religion brings the dead back to tell stories. Religion is the library of love and longing, candor and liveliness.
0: Thanks, guys. We see the contrast even in that list of the different types of religion. Uh, it is a loaded word. Uh, but I like this definition or this, this way of looking at it from First Timothy. Again, in the message, avoid the talk show religion and the practiced confusion of the so-called experts. People caught up in a lot of talk can miss the whole point of faith. Or uh, from Jesus' brother, James. 126:27 Anyone who sets himself up as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. This kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. Re- real religion, the kind that passes muster before God, the Father is this: Reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight, and guard against corruption from the godless world. Real religion. I think that's what we're talking about, or trying to get at here, and um, there's so many ways to practice this. And one that I'm particularly passionate about in our city is a bit of an epidemic that we see around us and a chance to practice real religion. And that is the issue of loneliness. Donald Miller in his book, "Blue Light Jazz." wrote maybe one of the most compelling chapters I've read on the topic of loneliness. And in it, he gives this depiction by telling a story. And uh, it's, it's kind of like a comic. I'd like to read it for you. Once upon a time, Don, astronaut, lived on a space station out in space. Don Astronaut had a special spacesuit that kept him alive without food or water or oxygen. One day there was an accident. And Don Astronaut was cast out into space. Don Astronaut orbited the Earth and was very scared. Until he remembered his special suit that kept him alive but nobody's government came to rescue don astronaut because it would cost too much money there was a conspiracy and they didn't they said he had died but he hadn't so don astronaut orbited the earth again and again 14 times each day and don astronaut orbited the earth for months and don astronaut orbited the earth for decades And Don Astronaut orbited the earth for 53 years before he died, a very lonely and crazy man, just a shell of a thing with hardly a spirit for a soul. I know it's bleak, but I think a good good analogy. He continues in his book, he says this, the words alone, lonely, and loneliness are three of the most powerful words in the English language. Those words say that we are human. They're like the words hunger and thirst. But they're not words about the body, they're words about the soul. There was an article in the Boston Globe uh, that said, the biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity, it's loneliness. Mother Teresa, loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. In his uh, seminal work, Bowling Alone, Putnam Notes, the collapse of uh, and revival of American community, written in 2000, but I think still holds holds weight for today. And in it, he writes about the fact that in the past 25 years, so in the last uh, few decades, attendance at club meetings has fallen 58%, family dinners is down 33%, and having friends visit the fallen... Uh, has fallen 45%. These same patterns are also evident in many Western countries, and we are thus said to be losing the spirit of community that once were found in institutions, including churches and community centers. And one more quote from Don Miller. He says, loneliness is something that happens to us, but I think it's something we can move ourselves out of. I think a person who is lonely should dig into a community, give himself to a community, humble himself before his friends, initiate community, teach people to care for each other, love each other. Jesus does not want us floating through space or sitting in front of our televisions. Jesus wants us interacting, eating together, laughing together, praying together. Loneliness is something that came with the fall. If loving other people is a bit of heaven, then certainly isolation is a bit of hell. And to that degree, here on earth, we decide in which state we would like to live. Strong words, and I actually agree mostly and disagree a little bit because sometimes we can't. We can't find community. We can't just get ourselves into community. It's not that easy. It's very complicated. Uh, You're welcome, by the way, for this very light and joyous message. But part of our call as the church is to be community, to bring others into community, As N.T. Wright said, there's no such thing as a solitary Christian. Uh, So I'll I'll say today, life is too short to pretend you don't need community. And it's a tricky word, one that we need defining, because we use that word, we throw it around. Oh, yeah, man, I'm living in community. I'm totally doing community. It's really rad. I love it. And we throw it around. We cheapen it sometimes. And I, I wonder, what does it actually mean when we say Community, when we use the word community. Unfortunately, in church community, it's often seen as cheesy or fake smiles or small talk. And uh, interesting that even the consumer world has caught on to this and is marketing community. So we're going to play a little game here. It's called, What Organization Is This? I'm going to read some statements from their their mission. And I'm going to leave out, this is an actual company. And I left the product or service that they provide blank, uh, so not to give it away, but what company is this? Round one. It's round one and the only round. We're only doing this once. (laughs) Our mission, to inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one, and one neighborhood at a time. That's pretty awesome. You could probably plug that into it. That could be a church mission statement. Next line from their website. When we are fully engaged, we connect with, laugh with, and uplift the lives of our people, even if just for a few moments. Sure, it starts with the promise of fill in the blank, but our work goes far beyond that. It's really about human connection. It really is. When our people feel the sense of belonging, our become a haven, A break from the worries outside. A place where you can meet with friends. It's about enjoyment at the speed of life. Sometimes slow and savored. Sometimes faster. Always full of humanity. What is this organization? Name the organization. Starbucks. Good. I don't know whoever said that, but you win the prize, which is um, you get to work at SOMA for a day in my office beside me. Believe it or not, that is a prize. That's a good. (laughs) When you say so, Lance, Nelson, Terry? Terry's like, I don't know. Um, Sorry, three under the bus there. (laughs) Yeah, that's Starbucks. The dictionary definition of community is a unified body, this is very general, a unified body of individuals. And there are, broadly speaking, five different types of community. Uh, classified by every type uh, or purpose that brings them together. So community is generally gathered around something, an idea. Uh, Here's the the five general, broadly speaking, different types of communities. Communities of interest. These are people who share the same interest or passion, so the scientific community, the equestrian community. Uh, Communities of action. People trying to bring about specific change, could be an activist group, something like that, Uh, communities of place, people brought together by geographic boundaries, Uh, could be a co-op, a gated community, Um, it could be a broader community, the North Shore, all my friends on the North Shore said, Mentos, I can't believe you left me hanging, oh you're not North Shore, sorry, anyone from the North Shore here today? Okay, thanks guys. The quiet North Shore people love you. Practice communities of people uh, in the same profession undertake the same activities. So it could be sport, theater, mom's group, whatever, there's a practice around that. Communities of circumstance uh, that bring people together, external events or situations it could be a, tra- a tragedy or a life altering event. Um, Christian community centers around Jesus which I think involves all of these, interest, action, place, practice, circumstance. And more specifically, I want to talk about three things that I see Christian community embodying, and it's three Greek words. We'll put them up there on the screen. Philozenia, koinonia, proskatero. If you have a firm grasp of these Greek words and ideas from ancient Greek, then you are dismissed now. For the rest of us, we'll stay in here and uh, look at these three words. The first one, philoxenia, or philoxenia. Not sure how to pronounce it. This is where we get our English word hospitality. And uh, the word hospitality, and this specific Greek word is quite interesting because it literally means love, philo, or philo, where we get the, uh, I don't know if you know the city, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Philo, so love, and xenia, which is the stranger. Love of the stranger. And I think community starts here. I think this is where we start with community, is hospitality. Jean Vanier, founder of L'Arche, which is an international federation dedicated to uh, the creation and growth of homes, programs, and support networks with people who have intellectual disabilities. He's just a fascinating guy, and he wrote this book, Community and Growth. And in it, he says this, In years to come, we are going to need many small communities which will welcome lost and lonely people, offering them a new form of family and a sense of belonging. In the past, Christians who wanted to follow Jesus opened hospitals and schools. Now, there are so many of these, Christians must commit themselves to the new communities of welcome, to live with people who have no other family, and to show them that they are loved and can grow to greater freedom and that they, in turn, can love and give life to others. I love that phrase, new communities of welcome. And this was written over 40 years ago. Jean Vanier is still alive, written in the late 70s. I I think this is what it means to join God in his work of renewal. And uh, what is God doing? Well, Psalm 68 says God sets the lonely in families. So joining God in his work is to... Join in, in looking for the lonely, in welcoming the outsider, and showing hospitality to one another and to the stranger. And I think one of the most important things to remember, it has to start here, it has to start within the church community. As Jesus said, they will know that we are Christians. They will know that we are his apprentices, his followers by what? By our love, John 13, Jesus says, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. It's interesting, he says a new command. It's not actually very new. It's the new part, the newness is in that he's giving it, and he's giving an example of what this new community is like and what this new command is like, this love and this hospitality. Jesus The way he shows hospitality, in this scene, just before he says this famous phrase, he picks up a towel and he sits down for a meal. That's how Jesus sees hospitality, service and sharing. And so he shares in this meal with his followers. He picks up a towel and he serves and he washes their feet. And for us, we give out of what we have received. So we need to receive God's hospitality in order to give it. Christine Pohl says these words, for the early church, the practice of hospitality both participated in and anticipated God's hospitality. Christians offered hospitality in grateful response to God's generosity and as an expression of welcome to Christ, who for your sake was a stranger. Paul says in Galatians 6, we have opportunity. Let us do good to all people, especially especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So especially to us here in this room. God calls Christians to practice hospitality in order to build loving Christian communities, to build nightly table fellowship. Oh, that's a big challenge. Nightly table fellowship with fellow image bearers to ease the pain of orphanhood, widowhood, and prison. The gospel call that renders strangers into neighbors, into family of God is all pretty straight up when you read the Bible says Rosaria Butterfield, especially the book of Acts. And it requires both hosts and guests, not just one or the other, as giving and receiving are good and sacred and connect people and communities in important ways. Uh, I think, too, uh, as I look out into this group, I think there's a lot of, I think the lonely people aren't just out there. I think there are lonely people in here. In here we have orphans. Or people without families in the city. We have widows. There's brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and singles, and Jesus calls to love all of those around us. Um, I love this quote by Jim Morrison of the Doors People are strange when you're a stranger. So take it from Jim Morrison, don't be a stranger. Quick survey. In this room, and Can you help me out by raising your hand if this is you? Uh, Artisan is going on its 10th year, so this is the, I think, ninth birthday. Is that right? That's Nelson. Yeah. Artisan is turning nine. How many of you, by show of hands, have been here since the very beginning of Artisan? Okay. Good handful. How many of you have been here for more than five years? with this community? All right, interesting. A little bit more. And how many of you have been here for two to five years? All right, I'm in that group too. How many of you have been part of the community for less than two years? All right, that's a significant group there. And how many of you are new? Just out of curiosity, to the new to this community this year, like when the within the last six months. Okay, welcome. Don't be a stranger. <laughs> this is, it's awesome to get a feel what's in the room, and I, I think one of the things uh, I would pass on to you as advice is. We can, we can judge people based on what we notice about them or what we see about them. Oh, yeah, they're good. They're connected into the community or they've been here forever or they know everyone or they're plugged in. My advice to you would be don't fill in other people's narrative. Let them do that for you. And so what I mean by that is we can start to make, uh, fill in the gaps of our narrative. We meet someone or we see someone we're like, oh, yeah, they're totally good and they're plugged in and they look fine, so they must be fine. Or they, you know, you know, X, Y, Z, you make all these assumptions. And I think it's a danger when we fill in the narrative of other people's story. The best way is to come up and say, hey, I don't know you, you don't know me. Let's be awkward about this. Let's get October in here. And let's, yeah, thank you. And let's see each other eye to eye and let's fill in the narrative together instead of making up what we think the narrative is. Maybe it was even a surprise to you to see people around you. You're like, oh, you're new? I thought you've been here forever. You look so confident and uh, controlled and comfortable here. So put together. We just don't know what's going on behind the story. The best way is to ask. Also, I have to say just a quick pastoral word to families. Look for the single people. Look for the single people. Especially people without families in town. And single people, you're not off the hook. Look for families. I don't know why, and it's it's not just our church, but in the church generally, there's this wedge between families and singles. And again, it might be part of the narrative thing. Oh, they have kids, therefore they're not interested in me. Actually, I think for families, I speak on behalf of the dads in the house, there's a bit of awe around single people. There's a bit of like, oh, this is cool. Especially my kids, you're like almost a demigod in their eyes. This single person coming out, who, who are they? They're just awesome. They're so intrigued by, by you. And I, I think that um, families, even though we have a family unit, we're connected that way, there are still lonely families. There are still lonely parents. Singles, look for the lonely. And families, likewise, look for those singles who don't have family in the city. How many of you, just out of curiosity, do not have family in Vancouver? Raise your hand. Well, that's a big chunk. Yeah. Okay, pastoral rant over. But we need each other. The point is we need each other. We need to look for orphans too and those who are not... Those who are in the city without family, look for widows, widowers, immigrants, refugees, people who have not found connection yet. And hospitality is central to this. So that's why we do things like set up in the round. We are a community, not a crowd. or It's not a concert. You're not... Watching or observing something, we're participating in something, and it centers here at this table. It's why we do things like after the gathering, we're tearing this all down and setting up tables and having soup and buns together. Because we are a community, we need each other, we need to eat and share in that way. It's why we do things like October. Maybe you've heard of this before. It's a month in the year, but we like to spell it like October, like awkward October. October. And it's basically permission for a whole month to be awkward with each other and to fumble around in community, get to know people's names, re- rehearse people's names, ask people again for the 17th time what their name is, be awkward, bump up against people, rub shoulders, invite people out for meals, and hopefully it doesn't end in the month of October, but spurs us on for the rest of the year. Okay. Second Greek word is koinonia. This word we find in acts 2:42 if you have a bible pick it up and go to page 759 we're going to read acts 2:42 to 47 page 759 it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to koinonia To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Oh, this must be the hundredth time I've read this. I still get fired up by this passage. This idea of the body of believers, not just a worshiping group, but a community. A community devoted to each other, to teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread. Eating together is mentioned twice here. And back then, when they wrote out Scripture, they didn't have, like, a highlighter or italics. You couldn't, like, change the word. You just had to repeat it to make an emphasis. So he's like, eat together. And again, do it again. Eat together. My favorite command in the Bible. Why are you laughing? Okay. Koinonia is this word fellowship. And it means fellowship. It means partnership. It means sharing of ourselves. I love, again, Jean Vanier. The process of becoming a community happens when the majority of its members make the transition from the community for myself to myself for the community. Now, just pause there. Imagine what this community would look like if we all took that seriously. If we all made that our mandate. The community, not just for myself, but myself for the community imagine what kind of things would happen in this community when we start asking questions about how can I serve someone today or how can I be available uh, and open Uh, in what ways am I privileged how can I give out of that Uh, how can I come in low how can I serve it's about the shared life and it's not just about giving it's about receiving too. And I love this about Jesus. He modeled this so well. He was the savior of the world, but in his actions, he didn't always come in to save people. He was the savior of the world. That was his mandate, but he came in to give and, and to receive. Even though he needed nothing, he received from people. Awesome example, the woman at the well. Jesus comes to her. They have a conversation. And what does he do? He asks her for water. I love it. It's so simple but profound. This, I think, is part of the spirit of koinonia, of sharing, of giving and receiving. He does this with Zacchaeus. He goes to his house to eat a meal. Unfortunately, architecture is against us in creating a community of koinonia. Um, And Robert Putnam, again, he uh, identifies this shift in architecture where within the last century, homes used to, where they used to be built, and you can see this in Vancouver, some of the older homes, uh, especially like in Strathcone over here, you see homes with a porch, or like a front area, and even the layout, the living room is like the front. Have you ever seen uh, Christmas Story, the movie, where the, neighbor, the neighborhood view of this family is through this front window, and there's certain things, they display in the window, and they do things in the window, but you can see the living room right there. A lot of times... That's not the case with modern homes. But the, it used to be in the last 100 years, there's the porch, there was the front area. It was a little bit more accessible. And now, today, it's hard to even tell sometimes when people are home. Obviously, apartments, but if you your living room is in the back, you have a light on in the very back. It's hard to know, is someone in there? Or uh, I don't know, maybe it's just a security light. There's not a lot of front porches, and the center's, of the living rooms now, instead of a coffee table, is the entertainment system. And so you, right away, turning to something else, you miss out the opportunity to turn inward toward one another. And so architecture plays a little bit into this, into our homes, into how we set up our homes. One way that we do this, that we organize this type of shared life, is through groups. And I'm going to quote my brother, Nelson James Boschman, because he has a way with words. And by the way, isn't it good to have him back from sabbatical? Yeah. It is. You're right. This is what Nelson James Boschman says about groups groups at Artisan are a part of our shared life, they are the practices of communal existence in all its messiness and imperfection. Groups are the intentional movement from inter-independence to interdependence. Groups are where we seek to become attuned to our deepest desires so that they can be surrendered to God, and so we can be free to spend our lives on behalf of others. Groups offer both high support And high challenge. Groups exist not as enclaves unto themselves, but as micro-communities that embody the shalom of Christ in their neighborhoods and seek the flourishing of the city. High five. So good. And we have, and I'll give a little plug here for the three types of groups that we have on our roster, ways that you can, we've organized for you to participate in this kind of koinonia community, is neighborhood groups which are spiritual families that meet throughout the year all around the city in neighborhoods for the, for the neighborhoods, practicing the way of Jesus. Table groups, which are seasonal groups, but like a class, but more interactive and more sharing. Group spiritual direction, which Nelson's going to be talking about today. There's a preview for that if you're interested in group spiritual direction. And there's not I, this, the story doesn't end there. Yes, these are ways that we've organized groups and for people to participate in Koinonia community. And also, I love hearing stories and seeing people take initiative to build that on their own. There's groups that are gathering around the city for dinners. There's people that are inviting people in. They're building community. They're welcoming in the outsider. And I love, I love hearing those stories. So it's not just happening in the ways that we've organized. It's happening outside of that, and that's awesome. I'm sure the Johnsons felt that in the last couple of weeks of the birth of their new baby, Soren. People coming around you guys and just hearing a few stories of people bringing meals and their fridge being full. The Taylors uh, or the swindles, they just had a baby too. Same thing, people coming around them. It's beautiful. Good job, everyone. The last Greek word, and we're going to wrap it up soon here. Proskatero. It's too good not to say it. Let's say it together. Proscartero Terio. Sorry. (laughs) Proskaterio. Sure. The reality of uh, community is that it is hard and that it's messy. And I can't give a message about community formation and not mention this. This is the reality of community. As Stanley Harawas crassly put, community is hell. Who wants to sign up? And if you want to see the reality of community in Scripture, just search the words community and grumbling. It's awesome. There's tons of grumbling communities. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. But they do it anyways. It's hard. It's messy. It's not romantic and sexy. It's hard. Another author writes this. Today, churches have four-week discipleship tracks. But after three years, Jesus still had disciples utterly denying him and sneaking into backroom meetings to sell him for 30 pieces of silver. Pastors, be realistic. Saints, commit yourselves. Discipleship takes a long time. It is hard, hard work. And that's why I think this word, proskitario, proskitario, however you say it, is the word for devotion. It's so important. And I... I like to think of it similar to other spiritual uh, devotions or disciplines is the discipline of community. It is hard to do it, yeah, but you place yourself in it, even when it's not great. And this language of discipline or devotion comes again from Acts 2, when it says they devoted themselves, they proskiterioed themselves which means they stayed by, they persisted at it, they remained with. There's tons of this in the New Testament writings. Uh, The biblical language is really compelling. It says, be devoted to one another, accept one another, serve one another, make every effort to keep yourselves united, encourage one another, offer hospitality, carry each other's burdens. It's hard work, but it's worth it. And again, I'm going to wrap it up with this, but Jean Vanier, another helpful tool, he talks about, and we've, we've addressed this, we've used um, Scott M. Peck, talking about four stages of community. This is kind of a different slant at it. Jean Vanier talking about the stages of community. And I think this is really helpful for us to hear. He starts off by talking about a community ideal. He says almost everyone finds their early days in this community ideal. It all seems perfect. They seem unable to see the drawbacks. They see only what is good. Everything is marvelous. Everything is awesome. I added that part. That's not him. They feel they are surrounded by saints, heroes, or at the least, most exceptional people who are everything they want to be themselves. Yes, community. I'm living community. It's awesome. It's great. It's perfect. And then comes the second phase, the letdown. And then comes the letdown. He says, during this time, everything becomes dark. People no longer see anything but the faults of others and the community. They feel they're surrounded by hypocrites. Life becomes intolerable. The greater their idealization of community at the start, the greater the disenchantment. Maybe some of you are in this place right now. You've had High expectations of what artisan could be for you, what is going to provide the Shangri La ness of this beautiful community. And then it's not that way all the time, this letdown. And maybe you're here, and I, I pray that God meets you in that place and that there's grace in this. And so this is where I think John Vanier is helpful. He talks about this third part, this third stage of community, entering into realism and true commitment. And this is my heart for us today is that we could, uh, and he, he writes this, if people manage to get through the second part, if you can just stick in long enough during the letdown that you come to this third phase, realism and true commitment. And he writes, they no longer see other members of the community as saints or devils, but as people, each with a mixture of good and bad, darkness and light, each growing and each with their own hope. The community is neither heaven nor hell, but planted firmly on earth. And they are ready to walk in it and with it. They accept the community and the other members as they are. They are confident that together they can grow towards something more beautiful. As a close, um, just a quick story here. I was preparing for this message yesterday uh, it's a bit of a stressful day, a lot of things going on. I was in a meeting all day, a really long meeting, had to get home, prepare for sermon. I come home, I'm like, okay, I just need everyone to disappear. I gotta hunker down and figure this out and get this sermon done. And uh, of course, a neighbor comes in the door, their kids had wandered into our house. And she came to collect them, and she sits down, and my lovely wife invites her to come and sit down on the couch. I'm like, no, not now. I have a sermon to write on being awesome community. <laughs> and uh, I love that this happened just yesterday, like God reminding me. But it was this, uh, at first, just horribly, uh, the poorly timed and just, I had I had my needs. I had my things that I had to do. Don't, not now, this is inconvenient. And uh, Martha sits on our couch, and uh, she starts opening up. And I'm like, oh boy, this is going to take forever. She starts talking about her life. And then, and then I, d- I didn't know this about her, but her mom had recently passed away. And she starts crying on her couch. And I've never seen Martha cry before, but in this beautiful holy interruption we just all sat there and we just we wept with martha and we we don't know each other that well we know each other but we don't know each other that way and it was just this next step into seeing this type of community come alive in our neighborhood in our back alley our neighbor coming over and i was so humbled at that moment i just said to god i'm sorry why Why am I so quick to get on with my stuff why do we Why do we always walk through rooms quickly or like you've got to catch the whatever and go to the thing and be it there and do this? But I think if we could all be aware and be open to some holy interruptions, it could be some beautiful moments and I'm reminded of something Lance said last week as he opened up this this series and this teaching talking about there is a river. We don't have to provide, this doesn't come from trying really hard to provide community for people or to be welcoming or to give people belonging. This comes from a deep source. We read in the scripture today, Liz, thank you for reading it, that we are planted by streams of water. The streams of water which provide life, provide flourishing, provide the inspiration, the energy for this type of community to work through the letdown, to enter this realism and true commitment. There is a river. There is a river, and it's for you today. You can grab it. You can enter it. You can jump in. And my, my word of encouragement is don't be cynical. Don't stand back and just watch it happen. But enter in. Find a way to get in and participate in this river. A good start is this table in the middle. We set up this plastic table and covered it in a tablecloth And we lay these things on it to remind ourselves that there is a center to this world and to this universe, to this community, and it's not us. It's Jesus. So as we come to the table, I just want to read this prayer, and maybe you would stand with me and read this with me. Could you all stand? As we come together, let's say, this short little prayer, out loud together. We cannot be love for the community without being drawn deeper ourselves into God. We cannot bring change to the world without our lives being realigned. We cannot forgive each other without knowing the freedom of forgiveness ourselves. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this day. Thank you that you are the center of this church. the reason we gather God we can extend hospitality we can extend community we can stand uh, we can be devoted we can do all these things we we're talking about not because we try super hard or we we have it all, but because you have shown us what belonging and true welcome is. you've shown us what true love of stranger is when you loved us and so god it is with that spirit we come to the table this morning and partake in the bread and the wine let's read the table liturgy together the gospel is the good news that god our father the creator out of his great love for us has come to rescue us from sin and death and to renew all things to the work of jesus christ on our behalf this is for god's great glory and our profound joy We acknowledge God as our creator.